Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on another Wednesday evening where we are set to take up another movie. Uh, this evening, we are going to talk about The Greatest Showman, as promised last week. Now, unfortunately, uh, Father Mike Ritter is not in studio with me this evening. He is a priest, and sometimes he just has to uh, leave on the drop of a dime, right? So he just was unable to be with us this evening. Uh, certainly, we will make sure we carve out some time next week for him to get some of his reflections into what we are going to talk about this evening. And uh, we should be able to do that quite well, because as we talk about The Greatest Showman this evening, we are going to take up another musical next Wednesday, and that is La La Land. Now, we are doing so with intention, because ultimately, while there are dissimilarities, there are also similarities that can be found in these two musicals. And now, with Father Mike being gone, uh, it will afford us the opportunity to take up some of those themes that we start this evening. So this evening, we are going to talk about uh, The Greatest Showman. Now, I don't think we talked about the power of a musical when we were reflecting into Les Mis. So what I wanted to do, uh, before we get into a brief summary and and then reflect into its uh, Christian elements, I wanted to talk about the power of music. There's a great children's book titled Crispin, the Cross of Lead, authored by one Avi. Uh, It's probably suited for, you know, your fifth, sixth, seventh grader. It's historical fiction, and it is a book about a young boy by the name of Crispin who sets out during the Crusades to find his mother. And there's one particular scene where, as he's going through the forest, he encounters this figure, this clown-like figure which, for Avi, was an allegory, an allegorical figure of Christ. And so this young boy by the name of Crispin has this exchange, has this dialogue with this clown-like figure, and as they have this exchange, at one point, the clown looks at young Crispin and asks a question. What musical instrument do you play? And Crispin, in the narrative, just kind of puts his head down And he says, with great shame, with great shame, Avi, the author, emphasizes, Sir, I do not play a musical instrument. And then this clown, Christ-like figure responds, You mean you have no soul? You mean you have no soul? Uh, What is being communicated there but this ancient truth that music itself is the voice of the soul? When I was watching The Greatest Showman, there's one particular scene where Jenny Lynn, this opera singer played by Rebecca Ferguson, sings Never Enough, and it is a powerful, powerful song. And as I was looking around me during this song at the people who were there in the theater, I couldn't help but notice a great number of people in tears, in tears. And it had me asking the question, what is going on right now? What is happening inside 
each and every person in this theater that they are compelled to cry. Remember, tears are but a sacrament of something, this external manifestation, right, of something. But what is the question? The soul. That song was speaking to the soul because song itself is the voice of the soul, right? So important for us as we just kind of uh, take a step back and appreciate what a musical ought to do. Now, we should say something here. Who was Lucifer and what did he do? We know Lucifer is Satan in sacred scripture, right? And what was his role before he fell? He was the head of the choir of angels, right? So if anyone knows music, it's Lucifer. And if Lucifer is the father of all lies, as he is identified in sacred scripture, then what do you think he is going to manipulate? But song, but music. And why would he do this? Because he understands, as one who has supreme intelligence, not to confuse intelligence with wisdom, because he has no wisdom, but supreme intelligence, as he has supreme intelligence, he understands, my friends, that music is powerful. And I'm sure Lucifer thought to himself once he fell, okay, how am I going to plagiarize that which is precious to God? Well, let me start with music. And then let me go to family and education and all those things that Satan has been busy about distorting. But be rest assured, my friends, he distorts music. So while music is the voice of the soul, we have to be very careful that some of the music we are listening to isn't actually detaching us from what we need to be present to in our souls. Okay, so that's just kind of an opening monologue on, on music and, and some things to think about, just a few musings, if you will. All right, The Greatest Showman. I'll just do a, a soundbite thumbnail sketch of The Greatest Showman. Uh, I know many of us have seen it, as you have requested me to talk about it. Uh, the Greatest Showman, of course, stars Hugh Jackman, who is P.T. Barnum, the, the mastermind behind The Greatest Show on Earth. And I love how the film opened. You know, the film opens in true musical style. And as it does, it flashes back to this young Barnum, this young Phineas. And what we find is an impoverished youth who was a son of a tailor with upper-class clients. And it's at the home of one particular client where he meets this beautiful young girl. And when he makes her laugh, he is consequently forbidden from seeing her ever again by her father. And so it is, soon thereafter, they find themselves as pen pals as Charity goes off to a boarding school. All the while, it's clear that, that Barnum is yearning for more than the life of a poor man's son. And this plays itself out kind of like a golden thread throughout this movie. If you were to fast forward, Barnum and Charity get married and have two beautiful daughters who themselves are, interestingly enough, very much caught up in this dream with their dad and for their dad. And for those of us who have daughters, there are many endearing parts to this movie that just kind of pull on the heartstrings, if you will. Uh, so as the story moves along, P.T. Barnum gets this idea to hire oddities, huh? folks who have been estranged from their families for the unique things about them. You know, we have the bearded lady, a very, very, very tall man, <laughs> a man weighing over 500 pounds, I think you had a dog boy, some Siamese twins, and so on. Just a number of different oddities. And 
out from this, he builds what comes to be known as P.T. Barnum's Circus. Now, certainly, the circus itself proves to be quite successful, but it is plagued by these protesters, as well as, we should say, Barnum's obsession, really, with gaining wealth and fame, putting the world at his feet. Again, when he was writing these letters to Young Charity as the movie was in its early goings, it was clear that he had this thirst, this desire to put the world at his feet, if you will. Now, while he is away (laughs) making that fortune after he met one Jenny Lind, played by uh, Rebecca Ferguson, back home, a group of protesters started a fire that burnt his theater down and at the same time injures Barnum's partner by the name of Philip Carlyle. Philip Carlyle is played by uh, Zac Efron, and that name might be familiar uh, to many of you as he is from the High School Musical. So soon afterwards, Barnum and his family are evicted from their mansion, just as Barnum's wife, Charity, suspected he was cheating on her with Jenny Lynn, this opera singer uh, played by Rebecca Ferguson. So as the, the movie kind of comes to a close, we see the troupe of Barnum's circus encourage Barnum to get back on his feet since he got them together and made them feel like they weren't alone in the world. And with Philip's help, again, Philip played by Zac Efron, they're able to restart the circus. And Barnum, in the end, lets Philip take over so that he can spend more time uh, with his family. Right? So that's just kind of a thumbnail sketch there. Uh, and we should say, before we go any further, although this musical is based on factual events, the movie certainly covers only a short period of Barnum's life and, for all intents and purposes, gl- kind of glosses over certain aspects of his career. But, you know, what are you going to do? I think uh, The Greatest Showman is about an hour and 40 minutes, so you can only get in so much. But I do footnote that because it is important. In the end, my friends, the musical certainly offers a wealth of things to discuss in the realm of the Christian context, as well as some things that might be adverse to Christianity, and I would dare say go directly against the gospel itself. And, and this is part of the reason why I was so compelled to talk about uh, The Greatest Showman. All right, so from a Christian perspective, it's not hard to spot redemptive themes throughout the storyline. You can go all the way back towards the beginning when Barnum and Charity are children. We find them exploring an abandoned mission and imagine what the world might be like if it were theirs to be restored. In many ways, this was a beautiful portrayal of a child's innocence, finding beauty in the remains of, dare I say, Eden while longing for a new and better world. Now, as You can all but anticipate this is the home they end up in, but as it turns out, it does not necessarily bring the promised joys uh, that Barnum had hoped as his thirst for fame for a time uh, got the best of him. Now, The Greatest Showman certainly celebrates the centrality of the family, and this is one of the things that I really, really enjoyed. For those of you who might be familiar with the writings of the widely popular G.K. Chesterton, There is, as it has been observed by others, a certain Chestertonian element running through this film. I mean, you have a man who doesn't realize the happiness he knows with his wife and daughters until he travels the world, experiences success on top of success, loses his reputation and claim, and then 
winds up back in the arms of those who he loves the most. There is a poignant and moving song titled, From Now On These Eyes Won't Be Blinded By The Lights. From Now On These Eyes Won't Be Blinded By The Lights. A song that Barnum sings, a repentant Barnum sings after discovering how easy it is to gain the world and at the same time lose your soul. In a striking line, he sings, If all is lost, there's more I gained. If all is lost, there's more I gained. Which certainly is a line that should remind us of what? That overarching principle, my friends, that less is more. When everything has been stripped from us and we are down to nothing, often then God is up to something. The something being what? More of him. More of him. And I believe this to be, again, a very important element in this narrative, in this story. The film's closing scene really uh, does leave us with a beautiful portrait of familial love uh, radiating from a faithful husband and father. He makes it back for his daughter's ballet. He comes back on an elephant, right? He never abandons who he is. I think that's another important point to make, right? While he reclaims his family in the end, it doesn't mean he ceases to be who he is, right? He continues on with the circus. He does give more uh, power to Philip Carlyle, Carlyle's partner, but he's still present. He's still there. And so in the end, he, he's watching his daughter with his wife. And I just thought it was a beautiful scene that really captures the beauty of family itself. So we ought to appreciate, I think, the seriousness with which the film treats uh, the marriage covenant. You know, when the potential for an adulterous affair arrives with Jennifer Lind, you find yourself kind of rooting for Barnum to be faithful, not to give in to temptation. And he doesn't. That's what was so great about this movie. Now, I don't know if that necessarily speaks to the actual count as actual life, but in the movie, he does it. And so often movies concede to that affair. He rose above and went beyond to return to his family. And in speaking to the family, in, in speaking to the beauty of the cell to society, this nuclear family, how about the faithfulness of his wife? This is certainly something that struck just not me, but also uh, my wife, just her faithfulness. Even towards the beginning when she was supporting his crazy ideas, I thought it to be so moving because from the outset, you really did get this deep sense of genuine love from charity to Barnum. And all throughout for charity, it was about supporting her husband's dream. It would be so easy for us to just, I think, miss this point, to just kind of shove it to the side. But that would be unfortunate because it does capture something about the marriage covenant, and that is the true meaning of love. It's just not that raw material that leads to the, the consummative act. It's so much more than that. It's about the willingness, again, to go above and beyond. We see it in, in Barnum, for sure, when he resists that temptation. But all throughout the encounters between Barnum and Charity, do you see Charity willing to sacrifice, willing to do what it, whatever is necessary for her husband to achieve his dream? Never abandoning who you are. There's a beautiful line at the end of the movie where Charity says to, to P.T. Barnum, 
I've never wanted anything more than you. I don't want all of this extra stuff. All I want is you. And that, I believe, speaks to the essence of what the true marital covenant is about. We so often speak to how sexes are complementary, and we put that in the context of what we do and how there's this yin and this yang and so on and so forth. But as a good friend of mine recently reminded me, (laughs) the word complementary literally translates as to suffer with. I went back to the word to just not suffer with, but to patiently suffer with. When you say that you and your spouse are complementary, it's more than just the yin and the yang. It has a whole lot more to do with the willingness to suffer to make it work. And again, something you see most strikingly in this movie, this willingness, huh? All right, what else? Well, certainly the greatest showman is also a celebration of humanity, as one of the newspaper critics in the film reluctantly admits, the celebration of humanity. And so what do we mean by that? Well, by employing a company of human oddities and freaks, as the protesters shouted in the movie, Barnum really bestows a certain dignity, bestowing a dignity on of a certain group of people who bear the scars of their family's rejection. He brings people out of the shadows and, and celebrates their uniqueness. Uh, here, one might think of the band of the Twelve Apostles, coming from very different backgrounds with, with one purpose in mind. I mean, if you were to really think about it, the Twelve could have rightfully been called, what, oddities, huh? I don't know if we could could call them freaks, but certainly oddities. They were the first motley crew. And if there was one who wasn't, if there was one apostle who wasn't an oddity, that would have been Judas, right? Judas. So certainly there is something there. And the greatest showmen, people are, are brought together into one family, united around one purpose, one mission. So what is true in the greatest showman is certainly true of the Christian faith. That being said, one could say, as I have already hinted, that one of its strengths is arguably its biggest weakness. And I want to make sure we hit this point. In The Greatest Showman, you have this unabashed promotion of this kind of expressive individualism. Uh, What do we mean by this phrase that is used in certain Christian circles? Expressive individualism. Well, according to this way of thinking, The goal of life is to discover and express your unique sense of self, which in of itself isn't a bad thing, right? What did we just say about that? It could be a good thing. But when this expression of your unique sense of self is being done, no matter what others may say or do to challenge your freedom of personality, it can be misguided. In this mode of thinking, the narrative arc of your life is finding your personal route to happiness by following your heart, expressing your your true self, and then fighting whoever would oppose you, your society, your family, your past, your church. You see, my friends, expressed individualism is bound not by a freedom for excellence, but a freedom for indifference. In this mode of thinking, Freedom is the means by which we can do whatever we want to do as opposed to a principle to do what we ought to do, right? The movie's breakout song, This Is Me, 
which is sung by the bearded lady, sings uh, the praises of being true to yourself and, and breaking free from the sharp words of criticism that may come from people around you. She sings, I'm marching to the beat I drum. I'm marching to the beat I drum. A song that is really about coming to terms with who you are and then defiantly expressing that identity to the world. We are glorious, <laughs> Barnum's chorus sings, exulting in the power of expressing one's uniqueness. And again, on one hand, as we have talked about, uniqueness is to be celebrated, but not at the cost of actually losing your uniqueness. Isn't it interesting that we live in a culture that constantly wants to rebel? And in the act of rebelling, we have been told you are unique. But what has happened in 2018? This is just an observation. It's as if all those who have rebelled now look the same and there's nothing unique about them. And, and those who have withstood the latest cultural fad and whatever that might be are the ones who stand out. Isn't that interesting? We are less free when we rebel, my friends. We are less ourselves when we rebel. Here in this context, I often find myself gravitating towards an analogy as it relates to freedom. I have a, a son. He is now 12 years old. He plays the piano. He's soon about to start the violin. And he started piano lessons when he was four years old. And I still remember to this day him going over to the piano, to, to the keyboard, and, and striking the keys. Now, if I were to ask you a question, is my son free to play the piano as he's striking the keys, maybe some of you would say yes. But if I asked you again more intently, you might think differently. Is my son really free to play the piano as you listen to him just strike keys, pound keys? No, he's not free. Only until my oldest son learned the language of the piano, learned how to read music, did he experience the freedom that properly belongs to playing the piano. Eight years later, my friends, as he sits down at the keyboard, let me tell you something. He is free to play the piano as he reads the music and plays all those beautiful songs. Why is he free? Because he's obedient to the law that is inherent in how to play the piano. You can draw this analogy out in many different contexts, learning the language. The analogy has been given to a golf swing. Maybe you're someone who just went out to the range and you were swinging a golf club and you were hitting the ball all over the place. If I asked you, are you free to play golf? You might say yes, but if I ask you intently a second time, you'd probably say no. And your response would be, I won't be free until I learn how to swing a golf club. Because only then can you actually play the game as it was intended to play. Keeping the balls on the fairways and, and hitting the balls on the greens, right? That's what it's about. So when you talk about freedom, to a certain extent, freedom is bound by law. A law that can always be reasoned. And to the person who rebels against this law, they are not free. In point of fact, they have become slaves. And the greatest showman kind of, and I would say unintentionally, juxtaposes these two realities. That is being free and being bound. P.T. Barnum, when he refused to give in to that temptation 
and embraced the law of the marital covenant, he was free to be who he was called to be for his wife and for his family. Others who might take this movie and see it as this kind of song towards their own rebellion, they are not free. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we know that the true gospel isn't about finding and expressing yourself, but finding Christ and expressing your, new, your newfound identity in Christ. And yes, there is a sense in which we as humans are glorious. Is not our foundational call to give glory to God, to become the praise and glory of God. But this is not true because of how we see ourselves, but because of how we reflect the image of the truly glorious God. What's more, it's not our understanding of this is me that matters most, but God's declaration over us. This is who I made you to be. Salvation comes through Christ redeeming us. So yeah, The Greatest Showman, it is a movie (laughs) that taps into several themes that I think resonate powerfully with American culture. Themes that speak to Christian elements of our culture. But it is also a movie that I think treads that fine line of putting too much of an emphasis on who we are minus our creator. So something to be thinking about. As it relates to, would you recommend this? Someone asked me, Joe, can you recommend the movies you you critique? I would certainly recommend this movie. The songs in of themselves and, and the dance, beautiful, well done, cinematically quite engaging. The song by Jenny Lind, played by Rebecca Ferguson, was striking. The song that the world is never enough, when you put that into the Christian context, it is powerful. Uh, So yeah, I would recommend this movie. See it with some of the things we have been talking about this evening, for sure. But yeah, certainly a movie to enjoy. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, The website is joeholcraft.org.